Thank you, Daniel, and good morning, Christ Central. As Daniel said, my name is Timothy. I'm one of the pastors here, and it's a privilege to be with you to bring God's Word uh, to us this morning. We are in a two-part mini-series that we are doing here in the book of John, John chapter 15, as we prepare to head into the fall last week. Daniel preached through John 15, 1 through 11, and then this morning I'm going to be preaching through the rest of that section, verses 12 through 17. It is our custom here at Christ Central that if you're able, we would stand as we give reverence to the Word of God. Again, this is John chapter 15. I'll be reading verses 12 through 17. Jesus says, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my Father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your word. We believe your word is true, and so we ask that you would now speak to us through your word. Would you give me the courage to get out of your way, uh, that you might speak clearly to our hearts, uh, that we would encounter you, the living God, and that we would have eyes to see, ears to hear, and hearts to understand. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. One of the things that I have noticed as of late as my children are growing up is that they are becoming more and more curious about relationships, particularly about marriage and family. And as a result of this curiosity, I have been having some very preliminary conversations with my son about how to go about choosing a mate. And as I was talking to my son, I found myself actually thinking back to this very same conversation that I had with my dad years and years ago when I was starting to date. And my dad said something to me way back when that has stuck with me all these years. He said, Timothy, does she make you a better person? Because when it's right, one plus one equals three. And what he was getting at in that short speech was that certain people have the ability, just by being in relationship with them, to change you for the better, to transform you into someone that you could not become apart from them. Do you know anyone like that? A friend, a spouse, a sibling, a coworker? That just by being with them, they bring out the very best in you. Last week, Pastor Daniel talked about this call to abide. 
to make our home in Jesus. And this week we're going to look at the consequences of abiding. What is the result? What happens when we abide in Jesus? And what our text reveals is that far greater than any person here on earth, Jesus has the utmost ability through relationship with him to change us for the better, to transform us into someone that we could not become apart from him. Here in John chapter 15, Jesus calls this transformation bearing fruit. To quote a verse from last week, Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. The promise here is is poignant. If we make our home in Jesus, if we prioritize our relationship with him, he guarantees that we will bear fruit that we will be transformed. And so this morning, we're going to take a look at what that transformation that comes through abiding looks like. Or to use the metaphor that that Jesus uses, what does this fruit of abiding taste like? Now, that may seem like a, a simple question, especially since Jesus bookends our section with the answer. The answer is it tastes like love. When we make our home in Jesus, we bear love fruit. But the reason I think it is a little bit complicated is because I'm not sure we really know what love tastes like. I have a confession to make. I absolutely loathe the TV show The Bachelor. I hate it. I can give you a number of reasons why, but I think my number one reason is the way the word love is used on this TV show. You see, throughout the show, we, the audience, are supposed to be on the edge of our seats waiting for this crescendo moment when the words are finally spoken, I love you. Declaring, I think, that something magical has happened inside of me, my heart has spoken, and therefore I must and will follow it. Verses 13 through 16, Jesus gives us a picture of what biblical love is all about. And nowhere does he mention any sort of driving force inside of us that we must listen to and obey, but rather it's quite the opposite. Rather than being something inside of us that tells us what to do, the Bible speaks of love as something that comes out of us and is in turn aimed at those around us. So I want to spend some time this morning chopping up this love fruit. And as we do that, I think there are three flavors that I want to draw your attention to. The fruit that comes from abiding tastes like this. It tastes undeserved, sacrificial, and missional. Undeserved, sacrificial, and missional. So let's look at these three flavors one at a time. The first flavor that we get when we bite into this fruit is that nose of undeservedness. If we chose to study Hollywood rather than the Bible, we would likely deduce that love is to be given to the one who gives us something in return. We've all seen the movies. We've all read the stories. Think, Jerry Maguire, you complete me. To the one who completes us, we offer, to the one who offers us something of immense value, we offer them love because they deserve it. And yet when we look at verse 12, we see something categorically different. Jesus says, love one another 
as I have loved you. See, we would expect Jesus to say, love me as I have loved you. That would make sense in this kind of reciprocal love society that we are accustomed to. The idea that love is a response to something, that, that when we are treated favorably, favorably, we owe that person something in return. But what our text reveals is that that actually isn't love at all. Listen to how Jesus makes this plain in Luke chapter 6. He says, if you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to get something back. But love your enemies and do good and lend expecting nothing in return. See, Jesus' point is that biblical love, it's never reciprocal. It's not quid pro quo. And, and the big point here is that it is never, therefore, obligatory. You don't have to do it. It's not owed. And what's beautiful is that Jesus doesn't just say this. He actually models this sort of love towards us, doesn't he? This is what uh, Paul is getting at in Romans 5, 8. It says, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Christ moved towards us in love in spite of the fact that we have done nothing to deserve it. In reality, that we've done a lot to deserve the exact opposite. Church, we must not miss the fact that our sin, first and foremost, is an offense to God. It's an act of rebellion against him. It's a declaration that we don't need this God, the creator God, that we don't need his rules, his protection, his love, and, and not even his presence. And what Paul is saying is in the midst of us saying all that to God in our sin, he is moving towards us in love in spite of how grossly undeserving we really are. What that means for us, church, is to obey this commandment, we must in turn identify people who are utterly undeserving of our love. Who might that be in your life? I think a good place to start is with the stranger, right? Obviously, if you've never met this person before, if you've never spent time with them, it's hard to imagine that they are any way deserving of your love. And yet from the very beginning, God has called us to aim our sights on the stranger when it comes to dispensing our love. Look with me at Leviticus 19. God gave this command to his people. He said, when a stranger sojourns with you in your land, you shall not do him wrong. You shall treat the stranger who sojourns with you as, a, as the native among you. And you shall love him as yourself, for you were strangers in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord, your God. Brothers and sisters, what stranger is God calling you to love on this week? We could call this the Stranger Things Initiative, right? I think that's probably copyright infringement, but I think you get the point. We have this call, this command of God to move towards those that we do not already know. Unfortunately, it's not just the stranger that God is calling us to love in this way. 
Listen again to Luke 6. He says, if you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? Even the sinners love those who love them. But love your enemies and do good. Lend, expect nothing in return. Obviously, there's nobody who's more undeserving of your love than your enemy. If only Jesus had added some qualifiers here, you know. Love your enemy who says they are really sorry for what they did to you. Love your enemy after you've raked them over the coals on social media first. Or or love your enemy if they promise to do the same in return. None of that. Just a seemingly impossible, unqualified statement. Love your enemies and do good. Expect nothing in return. I imagine most of us don't need any sort of prompting to bring our enemies to mind. The names are already rolling through your head. To love like Jesus, to bear this fruit, is to love those people also. This brings us to our second tasting note. Our text reveals that not only is biblical love undeserved, but it's also sacrificial. Look again at verse 13. It says, Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. Jesus helps us to understand what biblical love tastes like by pointing out what the supreme expression of this kind of love looks like. It looks like giving your life away. And the point that Jesus is trying to make here is that true biblical love, it must be costly. Because otherwise, going back to what he said in Luke 6, it isn't love. It's just the appropriate response to someone else's actions. But for the act to be characterized as genuine love, it has to hurt a little bit. Now, that cert doesn't have to be physical in nature, obviously. Remember that right before this speech, Jesus demonstrated costly love by washing the disciples' feet. Clearly, that caused him no physical pain, but was utterly humiliating for Jesus. The point that Jesus is making is that this kind of love always involves some kind of suffering on the part of the giver. Now, a word of caution, I think, is needed here. Jesus is not calling us to suffering for suffering's sake. He's not advocating for some sort of Monty Python-esque beating of our bodies, but rather this is a purposeful pain. Old Testament scholar Bruce Walk, he has some incredible insight here. He says that the book of Proverbs teaches us that in God's eyes, The righteous are those who are willing to disadvantage themselves to advantage the community. And the wicked are those who are willing to disadvantage the community to advantage themselves. It's a profound and powerful statement. You see, in love, cost is always calculated and thoughtful. It's not some altruistic self-sabotage, but rather a thoughtful investment in the lives of others. It's not this the essence of the heart of Jesus. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 8, Though he, Jesus, was rich, yet for our sake he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. It's not poverty for poverty's sake, but poverty so that you and I can become rich. I think we already know this to be true, but 
True impact is pretty much impossible without some sort of cost on our end. Whether that be our time, our money, our energy, our heart. So the question I have for you and for me this morning is what costs have you been unwilling to pay? Costs that are hindering you from really living out Jesus' call to biblical love. Where might Jesus be calling you this morning to disadvantage yourself for the sake of others? Our final tasting note for this biblical love fruit is that it tastes missional. I love the foresight here on Jesus' part, you see, because he is creating this love factory amongst his disciples, and yet he knows that the danger is that the love might get stuck in the factory, that the love would become inwardly focused. And so Jesus goes ahead and he nips that in the bud here in verse 16, and he says, you did not choose me, but I chose you, and I appointed that you should go and bear fruit and your fruit should abide. Jesus is saying this isn't Woodstock. The end goal is not that we all sit around and hold hands and sing kumbaya. He says, I chose you that you should go. And this idea isn't something new. It's not something novel that Jesus came up with. And yet God's people have always struggled to to grab hold of this aspect of God's redemption plan. You see, God's people, the Jews, they had heard over and over again how special they were, how much God loved them. There's countless verses like Isaiah 54.10, for the mountains may depart, the hills be removed, but my steadfast love shall not depart from you, and my covenant of peace shall not be removed, says the Lord. And yet God's plan from the beginning was not that his love would remain in Israel. All the way back in Genesis 12, when God calls Abram, he says, I will bless you, Abram, and I will make your name great so that you will be a blessing. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. God is saying, this love has got to go. (laughs) It was always meant to be on the move. But God's people missed it. A few years later, God is reminding his people through the prophet Isaiah. He says, it's, it's too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob, that, that you should be my people for yourselves and to bring back the preserved of Israel. I will make you as a light for the nations that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. God is saying it's always been bigger than just you. My heart is for the whole earth, that my love might pass through you to the ends of the earth. It's a lot of this that my question for you is how much of your time, week in, week out, is spent with people outside of this room? Maybe a more poignant question is how much of your time is spent with people outside the faith? What a tragedy it is when love gets stuck in the factory and never makes it out on the shelves. What would it look like for you to reorder your time a bit, to make room for love to get out of this place? As we prepare to close, I have to imagine most, if not all of us, are looking at our individual love vines and noting that our Love fruit doesn't often taste like that. 
If I'm honest, my love fruit rarely tastes like it has notes of undeservedness, sacrifice, or or missionality. Which leaves us with one final question. How then do we grow this type of fruit that Jesus is talking about here? One idea for how to grow this fruit is I could yell at you. Say something like, how dare you not love like that? And the guilt and shame that that would produce would motivate you for like an hour or two. The truth is the answer for how to grow this fruit is right here in the text. The answer is not to beat ourselves up about how bad we are doing at loving like this. It's not to bow up and just try harder and harder than we've ever tried before. Look again at verse 12. Jesus says, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Do you hear it? Listen to how one commentator teases out the truth in his translation of this verse. So good. He said, here's my special command, that you have a heart for one another out of the resource of my heart for you. I love that. Out of the resource of my heart for you, you love. Normally when I'm on a flight and the flight attendant begins to go into the safety spiel, I normally tune it out. Uh, And it has to do with my tendency to not follow the rules. But when I am listening... There's one part of that spiel that always gets me. It's, it's the part about the oxygen mask. Without, flail, without fail, the flight attendant will take a moment to speak directly to the parents and the caregivers and instruct them to put their own masks on first and then to help their children with their masks. And I don't know about you, but this always hits me. I've always wondered, would I actually be able to follow this instruction? If I looked over and I saw my child choking to death grasping for oxygen, would I really be able to ignore them and immediately first put my own mask on? I don't know. But to not do that is actually stupid. If I don't follow the flight attendant's instructions, we're probably both going to die. Because the point is, the adult needs to be at full strength in order to help the child. You need to be full of oxygen yourself so that you can then help your child get filled up. I think you know where I'm going with this, but the only way we can be any good at all to those around us is first to be filled up to the fullest with Jesus. Without his love flowing through us, there is no resource from which we can draw from to love on those around us. Which is why the answer to how we get this sort of fruit has actually almost nothing to do with trying harder. But rather, as as Daniel talked about last week, the answer is simply to abide in him. We make it our chief aim in life to make our home in Jesus. To make him our source of strength, hope, joy, and comfort. Because then and only then will this sort of undeserved, sacrificial, missional love begin to flow out of you and on to those around you. Out of the resources of God's heart for you, may you overflow with his heart for others. May it be so in you and in me, in this church, for God's glory and for the good of our city. Amen.
Would you pray with me? Father, we confess that this type of love, this missional, sacrificial, undeserved love is not natural to us. We want to do this reciprocal, I got you if you got me, payment obligatory kind of love that has no teeth to it, no substance to it. Father, we ask that you would help us. Lord Jesus, may we drink deeply of your love towards us as we abide, as we rest in your love, as we rest in your arms. And may you fill us to overflowing. And may your love be the love that pours out of us onto those around us. pray these things in Jesus' name.